Hi, everybody, and welcome to All This and the Oscars 2, AwardsDaily.com's infrequent podcast. My name is Sasha Stone. I run the website AwardsDaily.com. I'm here with two of our editors, Clarence Moy and Ryan Adams. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, that should be Ryan Adams and Clarence Moy. Ryan should go first. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not at all. Stop it. It's silly. (laughs) My brain works in mysterious ways, but we'll put Ryan first. Um, Okay, so uh, just really quickly before we get it out of the way, make sure to listen to the new Gold Tripping episode on goldtripping.com where I talked to Ryan for about an hour about the first time he joined the site in 2006, 2007 era. So I think, you know... It's a, it's a pretty fun listen. He and I actually talked for three hours that night, but I cut it down to one hour, but hopefully left in all the good stuff. So, um, but definitely check that out. So we're gathering tonight to talk about the fact that the Telluride Film Festival has been canceled mm-hmm. and we're all just sitting around here in a state of horror and shock, not knowing what's going to happen next in this broken country of ours amid a global pandemic. And it looks like the movie industry has been shut down. But we hope today to talk a little bit about maybe the best actress race and and how we think that's going to go. So um, what do you think, guys? What do we think about the best actress race? (laughs) Or anything. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I'm not surprised that uh, Telluride was canceled. I think there was such an optimistic viewpoint on film festivals, which is it's all about bringing people into a room to have a communal experience to watch a movie, which is exactly what nobody is doing right now. And to think that, you know, as we head into even okay. before it was a dramatic increase in the number of cases reported and, and, you know, all of a sudden America is just becoming like the entire epicenter of the virus in the world. It just seems so unlikely that, that people would actually not only go, but, and I know a lot of people were planning to go, but I'm talking more, you know, the talent, the the filmmakers, that, that they would put themselves into those situations where, I mean, there are, from what I've seen, and I've never been, but from what I've seen, there, you know, are events that are strictly held just to rub elbows, something you can't do safely anymore right now. So I, I, I'm not surprised it was ultimately canceled. Right. I, I feel like uh, I knew it was going to be canceled too. Like I kept telling people that I know who were going kept asking me you know are we gonna go I was like you know I'll go but I there's no way this tiny little town which is a retirement community is going to allow all these people from all over the country especially Arizona's right next door to come into its little bedroom community with all these very nice eclectic senior citizens (laughs) can you imagine like that's a recipe for disaster they're going to bring that like one person with COVID could bring the entire town to its knees you know, so I knew they were going to cancel it. Um, and you're right about talent. Nobody's going to take that risk. Uh, but boy, does it really throw the race into flux if there even is a race this year. Well, that's the big question is, you know, what is six? I mean, you, you can't tell this right now, but if in six months, if it's not any better, you know, what do the Oscars even happen? I mean, do they just do what the Tonys have done, which is cancel the ceremony and combine, uh, presumably combine two years worth of content into one? That's what I'm thinking, too. It's not just that Telluride uh, was optimistic. All of the movie release dates that we were hearing about were overly optimistic and they kept getting postponed and put back and put back and set back to different dates later on in the year until finally... A lot of studios are now just saying, you know, forget it. We're not even going to try to release this movie until 2021 because we have, you know, it's just too much money involved for them. And that's what I'm afraid. If 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 that's what happens, then they're going. There's going to be such a dearth of of candidates and 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 to even nominate for anything. That how can there be an Oscars that is meaningful? And people have said Oscars have always been held in the wake of other national tragedies they might be postponed a week or so but they they the show always goes on but that's because there's always a huge amount of money that's been invested in the entire preceding year but that's not the case this year if anything they're trying to preserve and cut back and trying to cut their losses for this year well it's it seems to me that if they're going to have the oscars this year and i know it would be a terrible thing to not have it right but um Mm. if they're going to have the oscars this year they're going to end up celebrating the kinds of movies that they they don't necessarily want to celebrate. They want those those popular choices mm-hmm. in there because it's going to drive ratings of the telecast. And those popular choices aren't going to be there. Like, right. you know, they don't have the big, you know, 
Oscar worthy tent poles like a tenant or or you know whatever else is is coming up on the you know the maybe even West Side Story but you know <laughs> I don't want to go back into that conversation but <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not gonna they're probably not gonna be there and it's gonna be it's gonna be either low budget indies or Netflix movies and and maybe Netflix movies are those popular choices now I mean this might be a, if they do have it this year. Maybe this is a great thing for Netflix because they can just yeah. run it in a movie theater. They can do, you know, some social isolation within that small theater that they own, but then they can put it out on Netflix and everybody can watch it. Yeah, it would be it would be fitting and appropriate and almost an uh, a, a reward for Netflix for keeping everyone entertained at home for the past four months. I mean, what would we have done? Not just what would the movie industry have done, but what would people staying at home have done if they didn't have movies to stream on Netflix and Amazon and other and other streaming channels? It's, it would be a way to pay tribute to what Netflix has done for the country in a way this year. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to you know blow it up too much or make it sound too overblown, but but it really is. We should be grateful to Netflix mm-hmm. and uh, and the fact just or just be grateful that streaming exists, that it just happened to come along this. Um, at a time when we had something to keep us occupied at home. Right. I mean, I I, uh, I did a deep dive that kind of blew my mind. The thing that I noticed was that, you know, you know me, I look at the patterns of history and I look at how, how things used to go and how they've changed and how they will go. And, you know, sometimes it's right, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, people don't always operate the same way. People are changing. Demographics are changing. But I did remember that, Basically, coming out of the 1950s, the kind of counterculture revolution of the 60s really shaped the kind of culture of film, books, art that sort of followed, right? So basically, the baby boomer generation has helped to sort of define how we define art, how we, mm-hmm. what we think of mm-hmm. as good movies, what we think of as a good art, what we think of as good books, what we think of as legit journalism. That all kind of came from the boomer um uh, sensibilities coming out of the restrictive culture of the 1950s, right? So I feel like right now we're going through another sea change where the Gen Z are kind of overtaking the boomer uh, kind of <clears throat> definition of what what art is, what movies are, what books are, what museums are. When they have like different requirements, different needs, different things that turn them on than the boomers and the people that have followed in their wake. Like I'm in Gen, Gen X and so I'm part of that. I grew up seeing movies like William Friedkin and Francis Ford Coppola, you know, and Martin Scorsese, um, Woody Allen as like the, the pillars of great filmmaking. And what I was looking for, what I liked about movies was kind of that, what they defined as good coming out of Cahiers de Cinema and you know, this, this idea of like, what makes a good movie? What do you define as good? What does good mean to you? That's changed because I think that the Gen Z, they look at it differently. They don't look at what's good. They look at, you know, what speaks to them and what speaks to them is how it addresses um, so kind of what, what social justice means to them, more or less, you know? And so they're looking at things like, did a woman direct it? Did a person of color mm-hmm. direct it? Is it about people of color? Is it about, um, you know, condemning what we see as systemic racism? Is that what this movie's about? Okay, I like this movie. Maybe, partly. So that's coming into play, and that's, a, that's why you see film criticism changing, um, and that's why you certainly see books changing. You see criteria changing you see all these changes but one of the biggest change that gen z is bringing is that they don't really watch movies they don't go to the movies they prefer watching movies on streaming and on their phone and they are they've overtaken the boomers in terms of population so even though like we're all fighting to keep theatrical alive and we're hoping Mm. that that's the future of movies there's a really good chance that it's not there's a really good chance that the gen z will define it as streaming Right. So mm-hmm. we might be witnessing the end of that, and this could be a good year to figure that out. There and there's been there have been other um, milestone years when when the industry and, and the Oscars have changed. Usually, the Oscars it takes them a couple of years to catch up to what to the changes on the ground in Hollywood and in the country. But the same thing happened around 1968. You know, our friend Mark Harris wrote that great book, Pictures of the Revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that the movies in 1968 were so different, all of a sudden from the movies 
it seemed look in retrospect a lot of fluff and silliness was were were big at the box office in, in the mid 60s and a lot of oscar members a lot of academy members even stopped showing up at the oscars because even the oscar mem even the academy members started to think that it was frivolous and silly and they did, did that it didn't reflect what was really right compared to the, what europe was doing at the time the great movies that, that we were getting coming over from europe our movies didn't really compare to that and I wonder if, like in 1970, probably a vast majority of the, well, probably not a vast majority because obviously it was nominated, but I'm sure that a movie like Five Easy Pieces being nominated for Best Picture disturbed a lot of veteran Academy members thinking that this is not like the kind of movie that we want to have nominated. We've never seen anything like this before in our life be nominated for an Oscar. In that year, when when things did really start to change in 1968, 1970, and that's why that we all have such fondness for the movies of the of the 70s, that golden age, when movies that were serious in a different way started to become prominent and become recognized as art. That in the 60s were more almost like cult movies. Yeah, but I think that they they were popular in the in, somehow in the Academy because the Academy was. It wouldn't have gotten nominated for Best Picture if it wasn't liked by a that's lot true. of yeah, members. Like I, yeah, that's you know? true. It would have had to have at least 20% of the Academy think thought that it was something special. And luckily, the Academy has always been the kind of organization that has lost older members by attrition, by them dying off, and has also invited younger members. And so they've yeah. always rejuvenated themselves. But I also think that back in the 70s was really beautifully and we're kind of about to go through another phase like this i think my prediction is that you know after reading this book pendulum which is that you go through the paranoid witch hunt phase and then you go through the phase of people tuning out which is what happened after you know between the era of 1972 to 1980 when reagan got elected and everything changed and america became much more conservative and the culture war basically died the the 60s were dead by then everybody mm -hmm. was interested in making money and being a yuppie and you know corporate climb and that impacted movies greatly starting in the 80s but in the 70s there was still rugged individualism was still very much a part of, of movies and i feel like Jack, that's why the movies in the 70s were so good because they were depicting a generation that didn't know where it was going and didn't know what the, what it meant. You know, they're coming out of Vietnam, Nixon was president, what does it all mean? I mean, we're just... And, and it made for the most beautiful, interesting... Even Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I watched the other day, like, that's such a great movie. It ends with yeah. Donald Sutherland becoming a, a, a body snatcher and, like, outing Veronica Cartwright. And that's how the movie mm -hmm. ends. Like, it doesn't have a happy ending. Not even right. close. And look at The Godfather 2. Like, so that was such a bleak era, beautifully bleak era of, of film. But I, I don't know what, what's happening now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, but I do feel it's changing. I do feel like the way that they're bringing new Academy members in and the way that they're going to mandate inclusion and this idea that it's just not going to fly anymore, that it's a, it's an individualist film and it's going to be about a white man and made by white men. Like, at least for the short term, that's over. Mm -hmm. the academy and a lot of it will will depend on the uh, financials too, the the economy of it and that's part of what yeah. happened in the 60s too at the end of the 60s there were several enormously huge ex hugely expensive movies that flopped and so the uh, studio has realized that the tastes of the country were changing and they were going to have to find a way to reattract younger people mm -hmm. to come see movies movies that had turned their backs on I'm not even sure what movies flopped really big back then. Movies that, like the big musicals that were made that just got way out of hand. and just or like uh, and Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Doolittle. That, that or, was one of them. My yeah, Fair Hello Lady. Dolly or yeah, yeah mm. exactly. Um, even Funny Girl and, and, uh, and Hello Dolly, even though they, they did well, they, they were just, they had, that style of movie stopped. Just abruptly, they stopped making those kinds of movies. They were at their, they peaked, and then all of a sudden, it didn't even trail off. They just stopped completely making them, and mm -hmm. they started making movies that would appeal more to young people. Yeah. And that really happened so much. You get the 1970s, uh, even maybe better example of the than than 1968 because they had five easy pieces. Then they had you had Airport, which appealed. That was like an old style classic Hollywood type movie, Airport. Patton, the historical epic, then Love Story and MASH appealed to the younger audiences. And those were the five best picture nominees that year. But I can't imagine that a lot of people who liked 
five easy pieces, we're also going to the favorite, the second favorite movie would be airport. Like we do that a lot when we try to calculate the way the preferential ballot is going to settle out about if this is your first favorite movie, what will your second be? I can't really see a lot of overlap between five, five easy pieces and the airport audience at the time. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting is this seventies because of coming out of, um, the cultural revolution, you know, we're going through another cultural revolution right now. It's a big one. Um, and it's it's saying something very different from what it said in the coming out of the 60s. But at the same time, we had black power, civil rights movement. We had women's lib, quote unquote. Women's lib was very white. It was, you know, it, it was white feminism is what they would call it today. But it was so it was separate from black power and civil rights. And so today's generation just simply doesn't see it that way. If you told them to watch The Stepford Wives, which I just watched, and you watch that movie, and you say, oh, yeah, this is about feminism. And you see that it's all white people. Like, no young person today would accept that. They would just look at that and go, what are you talking about? It's all white people, white women. Mm. But at the same time, you saw a lot of, because of those um, cultural influences, you saw a lot of movies um you know, with black casts, with black leads, with black actors, and a lot of women-led movies. And, you know, it wasn't just the singular male um, protagonist. That changed um, over time. Like, as the 80s evolved, it definitely started to evolve more towards the male lead again, the white male lead, or, you know, Denzel Washington can carry a movie. But basically, the male protagonist is still as strong now as it ever has been in terms of money-making movies. Like, that hasn't mm-hmm. changed. But Yeah, well, we, we talked about that. About That's what happened, again, as, as great as the 70s were, as because movies movies had the freedom to be more sexually and explicit and explicit with the language in the 60s, but they didn't mm-hmm. really take advantage of that freedom until the 70s. Right. But then... They realized that movies that did take advantage of that in the 70s were restricting their audiences by being R-rated. And so you were cutting out a huge swath of, of kids who, couldn't, who wanted to go to the movies but couldn't. And so that all changed with movies like, like Jaws and Star Wars right. and Close Encounters. And once studios saw that they could actually earn a billion dollars from a movie, then everything changed. It was like game over. Oh, for you know, sure. For the, for the R-rated movies. Why even do that anymore when you can make a billion dollars with a with a with a fun romping adventure like with like you said with a young male protagonist? Oh yeah, and I was doing um, well. As soon as international box office, if you look at international box, other than a few movies, handful, the majority of films that do really well are all have a male lead. Um, you can make draw conclude any conclusion you want from that, but but I was my podcast that I'm doing now, gold the gold tripping thing is is I'm doing the year two thousand eight. And I was like, at that time, we were all so in love with The Dark Knight because The Dark Knight had come out in July and I think Heath Ledger had died in January. And it wasn't just mm. Heath Ledger's death, but it was that was certainly part of it. And because he was such a big deal on our site because of Brokeback Mountain, but he was also just a really famous actor. And because of social media, we had a chance to all really mourn his death all at once. So that, that I think, lended some something to The Dark Knight, um, which, which at the time made... I think it was like 600 million and at the time that was such a big deal because Titanic was the only movie ahead of it in terms of mm-hmm. box office. Mm, right. And then I was like, okay, so where does The Dark Knight stand now and it's number 39. Oh wow. Wow. Of all-time box office champs. Unbelievable. It's number 39. Wow. Titanic's like number 9 or something like that. Yeah, like they just uh, figured out the formula mm, at branding superheroes, sequels and they just have made so much money on these movies since 2008 you wouldn't believe it 39 well the thing the thing about why so many of them and some like, like virtually all of them feature male leads as the hero is because of the male ego in 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 culture and society all around the world guys will go see a movie right. with the guy as a hero and girls will go see a movie with the guy as the hero but a guy That's is right. not going to go with five of his friends to go see a movie where the woman is a hero it's best it's, it's bizarre but they just won't not 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 the typical straight guys because it's going to be it's just not going to happen they're not interested in seeing women being the 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 lead of a story like like women are open to that but men are not so anyway the thing i wanted to talk about with you guys was that there's considering the atmosphere right now black lives matter and the way that they've invited many actors into the academy of of color and um i just think that it might be a good year to revisit the um fact that only one 
black actress in all of Oscar history has ever won in lead. And that was in mm-hmm. 2001 with Halle Berry. And I feel like what better time than this year to make that happen again? Now, obviously, we don't know what movies they are, but it's worth keeping your eye out. There's two that I can see. It's funny because we're it's like talking about who's going to be Biden's veep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, exactly, it's so women. much like that. Yeah, appease the uh, the fans, right? Uh, or you're going to alienate people if you don't do it right. Well, sure. So I mean, you know, if you've got if you've got two right off the top, you've got Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin, and then you've got Viola Davis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I don't know anything about that. Do you guys? Um, no, I don't it's know. a it's a um, it's an August Wilson play. I was just looking. Oh, okay, at, okay. So August Wilson obviously did Fences, mm-hmm. um, but it, it doesn't have as big of a reputation um, in the theater world, particularly with theater awards, as Fences. I'm just looking, you know, it, it doesn't have any actress nominations. It, it was it was nominated for um, Best Play in 1985, but it didn't get, I don't think it, I think that was the only one it got. I'll, I'll double check that, but... Um, I'm just I'm wondering why that is like there are it certainly seems that there are acclaimed revivals of it. But I'm just wondering if there are problems with the play and if if they'll try to overcome that with I mean, not that August Wilson has problems with his place. Don't get me wrong. But if there's something that's holding back from like broad acclaim or or, or broad Mm. embracing of the material. Yeah. Why? Why was it not embraced before now? In other words, why? Why? Why did it take so long for them to do to adapt it for the movies? Right. Right. Is it so theatrical that is a, that is a theater piece that is not easy to 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 translate into cinematic terms? If so, then it's odd that they would have chosen nearly a first time um, director who I mean a, a first time director who's almost virtually has only worked on the stage before. He 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 won a Tony Award for um, part of uh, uh, Angels in America. And so he's well known in Broadway, but he's not really known at all for um, as a movie director that I know of. But it's got uh, Viola Davis, and right. she yeah, is—I yeah, yeah. uh-huh. mean, she is constantly seen as you know one of our greatest working actresses. So oh, it, it sure. you know, it's, it, I'm just wondering if um, something like Respect and Jennifer Hudson—if that's just not going to be a bigger crowd pleaser. Maybe there's something difficult in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and respect is the it's as I mentioned to you, Sasha, earlier, they just pushed it to um, MLK weekend of 2021. That's going to get a huge release. It's going to be assuming that you can go to the theaters, then it's going to be number one for sure. Um, Right at the right time, right at the at the end of the voting window, assuming everything continues as it's scheduled to be. I just wonder if she's going to win a, a second Oscar, which would be ridiculous. I think if, um, and in both she and Viola Davis have supporting uh, wins. Right. I feel like if um, if her part is mostly singing, she'll have a really good chance at winning. But if it's heavy acting, she won't. But I feel mm. like the, the love for Aretha Franklin um, and her... Jennifer Hudson is an amazing singer and just listening right. to her sing those songs and how much people say it's Oscar catnip. It's Academy catnip. Mm. That is. It right. could be Judy. It could be Judy all over again. Yeah. It could be Judy part two. You know, exactly. the same thing happened. We could, we could pretty much guess this at, in midsummer last year that Judy was, was going to be the best actress winner. Right. But Renee that, was, that's interesting. That's an interesting comparison though, because you remember um, this year, uh, there was oh god who was the performer that was perform uh, oh um, Taron Edgerton for playing Elton John was so much better than right. the yeah, previous yeah, yeah. Oscar winner mm-hmm. of you know for um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so you're saying so, could it be that they don't want to do the same thing two years yeah, in a row? Right. I mean there yeah. there there could be a sentiment that oh, well, I don't want to have, vote for someone who is per- portraying a singer again. You know. Well, that, there's that, one yeah. more role which is Andra Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday by Lee Daniels. That's a Paramount movie, and so you're going to have um, Billie Holiday. I don't know how good of an actress Andra Day is, but Billie Holiday versus um, Aretha Franklin. That's two very different. Uh, singers who have different lives and Billie Holiday's life was incredibly incredibly tragic mm-hmm. so I don't know you know if that's a powerhouse performance but you know she was a heroin addict she was like horribly abused she was not allowed to you know 
stay in the hotels where she played. I mean, it was just, it was hardcore. So if mm-hmm. Billie Holiday's story is more gut-wrenching, um, and this she can sing as well as, as Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson already has an Oscar. So I don't know. That's an interesting thing. But if you have three black actresses um, competing and, and two of them are singers, do the two singers cancel each other out? And how much of that right. is going to be the star power of Viola Davis, who really should have won lead for the help and didn't? And this would be a make good for her, and everybody loves her anyway. Um, and Andrew Day is not really well known, and Jennifer Hudson's a newbie. So I could see Viola Davis's veteran status depending on that. I'm going to have to research that play, Ma Rainey's Black right. Bottom, and see what that's like. You know. Um. Yeah, I just I go back to um, seeing Dreamgirls for the first time in the theater, and remembering just how people were captivated by her in that i mean that one scene where she sings i'm not going is what won her the oscar and people like i've never seen this before people literally got up and just applauded as if they were in a a theater they you know they should have stopped the movie because you missed like five minutes after Mm. that i have no idea what happens after that moment to this day because uh um, I couldn't hear anything after it. But <laughs> Imagine it, uh, her singing, you make me feel like a natural woman. Like, that's just going to be like a showstopper. Oh, yeah, mm. sure. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a tough one because people are so emotionally connected to those songs. But, you know, Billie Holiday was no uh, small potatoes in that department either. Mm. So it's it's going to be an interesting year. Um, I think that has to be considered. I would I would really personally think it would be great if this particular year a, a black woman could finally win Best Actress. I know when I start writing about it, I have mixed feelings because of my history, which is that I used to advocate a lot on my site for you know black performers and black film and and alienated a lot of my audience and then I kind of dropped off doing that only because I felt like there were enough people out there enough writers enough filmmakers where they didn't really need me to do it anymore and so I don't do it that much now um and when I do do it it gets like zero attention because <laughs> nobody cares but I mean I think it I think that I think it had people a lot of people feel like that your 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 quest um uh, was achieved that you that you attained the goal that you wanted, and now we're there, mm. and um, so now they are ready to talk about hear about something else. Yeah, exactly. I and do, I don't yeah. want to be virtue signaling. You know what I mean? But I do right, want right. to cover this from an Oscar perspective, as I would have done years ago. Um, I, the other people we should mention are uh, French Exit. I don't know what that's going to be, but I know that means Michelle Pfeiffer is coming up again and she's never won. Um, Mm -hmm. She could be in the running. You know, that could be a big deal. Um, Carrie Mulligan has Promising Young Woman, which did really well at Sundance. And she is in the Coen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, right? I think that's her. Or is that Frances McDormand is in that? That's Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand, who's also in Nomadland. But yeah. she just That's won, right. so she's not. Yeah, gonna win she's it. not going to win like a no, but, third thing and this too soon, I don't think. But it's Frances McDormand and Denzel Washington as Macbeth. Oh god, oh, that's wow. going to be yeah, so well, good! Yeah. I'm putting that I mean, at the top of my best sure. picture. And it's not like it's not like um, an actress waited several decades before a second Oscar and then suddenly got a third one too. It's happened before, didn't? Uh, Catherine Hepburn sort of did the same, did that, didn't she? All right, I'm putting Denzel in my top for best actor for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's no way he doesn't blow that out. There's no way. There's no way. That's going to be so good. And it's Joel Cohen directing it. Uh, that's going to be right. a best picture, best director, best actor, best actress. That's going to be. If they finish it. Uh... <sighs> Sorry, because I talked to um, to Carter Burwell, who does their scores um, for, because uh, I talked to him for some TV stuff, and they're not done. They didn't. They didn't get a chance to finish it before the the production was shut down. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that might not even make it in. Yeah. Oh, boy. Sorry. <laughs> what a drag. What a drag. Um there's the actress. Then we have I was going to say Kate Winslet, we can't forget her, although, you know, but and, and that's a, supposed to be a really outstanding film that everyone's really excited about Ammonite. Um it's a what it's a lesbian story, right? Lesbian romantic. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, um, getting 
really talk up from along on gay Twitter a lot, you know, for for obvious reasons. Hmm. So what's this? What's the plot other than that? Like, what is it? Oh, you know, I'm not sure. It's a period piece. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I don't know. I really not sure what the source material is or if it's an original screenplay or anything. Just that it's a gay romance between who's her co-star in that. Uh, Last, you know, oh, Shosha Ronan. Shosha Ronan is uh, is the other is the other love interest. Really? So it's younger, older. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Huh. Um. That's funny because I was just doing Kate Winslet on that 2008 thing, and and that was so her year because she had Revolutionary Road and The Reader, and they had to pick one, and of course it turned out to be The Reader, and and that knocked The Dark Knight out for Best Picture, and that's why there are more than five best picture nominees oh oh yeah right uh -huh. yes. right so that changed but um i'm looking at awards watches predictions right now and they've got viola davis in number one francis mcdormand for nomadland in number two that's a huge overestimation if i were them i would rethink that um three is amy adams in hillbilly elegy four is jennifer hudson respect five is sophia loren in the life ahead so they've got three netflix movies in the top five that's never going to happen um olivia coleman for the father kate winslet for ammonite michelle pfeiffer french exit elizabeth moss surely scratch it off it's not happening rachel Ziegler, west side story possible um i would rejigger that if i were him and i would make it number one um, Viola Davis, number two, Jennifer Hudson, number three, Andrew Day for the United States of uh, Billie Holiday, that's three. Then my fourth would be Frances McDormand for Macbeth. And my fifth would be, um, I guess I'll throw in Kate Winslet, what the hell? She always gets nominated for everything. I think so. I think we, I think you really can't count her out. I think she's just, just like, uh, if, if, if it's not one of the situations where it's like a co-lead and then we wonder which, whether, which, which has the most prominent role in the movie because it's either going to be her or one or the other. The guy who directed it is, um, let me see, he directed God's Own Country, yeah. which, uh, which is one of the most brilliant and beautiful and gorgeous and most emotionally effective gay movies of the past decade, mm -hmm. really. It didn't get the kind of release that it needed in order to make it into the American Awards um, even the critics' awards didn't. It didn't. It just got overlooked because of something about the release schedule. But uh, anyone who's around the world has seen it, and or any, it just is, you know, knows mm -hmm. how what a great director he is. So it's in good hands, is what I'm trying to say. The movie's in yeah. good hands. Sounds great. I mean, it really does yeah. sound good. Gosh, what, how could you go wrong? But mm -hmm. um, but I really do feel like uh, Frances McDormand in Macbeth being directed by her, you know, husband or boyfriend or whatever he is, and the trust there, and she's worked with him so many times. There's no way that that performance isn't going to be better than the one in, in Nomadland. I mean, no. I mean, I guess we'll find out, but come on, Shakespeare, really? Like, that's intense. So we'll see. I mean, it could be wrong. Wait, there's another one that she's in. Oh, no, she's just in that one and that one. Okay. Um, Go ahead, Clarence. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I don't think you can count out, um, if you're looking at top five, I don't think you can count out Olivia Coleman for The Father because oh, right. um, because that uh, that perform you know, the big buzz coming out of Sundance this year was how great Anthony Hopkins was in that. And if that's yeah. a two-hander between them, mm -hmm. if he's getting awards attention, she gets, I mean, she, you know, I'm sure she will be great because she's a great actress, but she's going to get pulled along with that conversation. For sure, too. without a doubt. Um, I didn't think of that. Yeah. So that means, and, uh, yeah, so Carrie Mulligan promising your woman. I mean, she also, that was another big uh -huh. one out of, uh, now I don't know if that's a film Twitter thing or if that's actually going to be something that's, that one kind of felt like a bubble thing to me. I don't know. It did we'll to see. me too. <laughs> if it wasn't such a strong year, it looks like it's a really strong year. Um, the problem with, with writing about this, which I really want to do is that I, I don't know how many of these movies are actually coming out. Right. So I don't even yeah, well, that's the good thing about that. the father is that it's already been screened and they can very easily put it on streaming. And Ammonite is a UK film, so it will be it will be it'll get its uh, premiere screening and then exposure there and a lot of attention too. I just checked what the plot is about. So it takes place in 1840, and it's about a real life person. It's a British paleontologist named Mary Anning, who uh, Kate Winslet plays, who's um, looking for fossils and everything along the coast, and 
a husband and his young wife arrive and the wife is recuperating from some sort of uh, emotional trauma or injury and the husband entrusts Kate Winslet to look after his young wife and yada 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 um, yada yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, and so and so that's what that that's 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 apparently a true story just based on on a real thing that happened and so wow. that's what it's about wow. sounds fantastic yeah it really does i mean yeah. that's a, those are couple of great actresses i wonder yeah. if saoirse ronan will be supporting um just don't know whether i mean she's the she's a love interest so you don't know whether it's going to be like a co-lead situation or whether it'll be like um she's more um secondary just don't know yeah yet. i would love it to get to arrive to the point where movies can be about gay people where the gay story isn't necessarily the only central theme mm -hmm. Well, this does look like it's going to be a lot about um, social conflict, too, because they come from different social spheres, spheres, and that um, just the fact that it took place in the 1840s, just about how it's going to be a sort of a situation we had last year with, uh, um, what was the other lesbian movie last year? Portrait of a Lady Shit. on Fire? Well, yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, yeah. It... it, it, it Layered on top of just the simple gay aspect, it's the fact that how difficult it was to even be gay and have a gay relationship in those days. Although that's still sort of the same thing about your talk. It's still related to being gay. It is, this does look like it has a little bit more depth and breadth than just the fact that, uh, you know. Yeah, just I mean, we're, they're working it out in cinema. They're working it out in art. So we're not quite yeah, to, to the point right. where it's still not an important subject on its own. But for instance, the Mary Trump book, I don't know if you guys are reading that, but I, I devoured it. I and I'm starting into the second reading now because I liked it so much. But um, but you don't find out she's gay until like one of the last chapters. You mm -hmm. don't even find mm -hmm. it out. It doesn't have anything to do with how she defines herself. None of the press covered it. They didn't, I mean, unless I just didn't see it, but... Usually, like, if it was Dick Cheney's daughter or whatever, like, that's the most important thing you know about them and the only thing you know about them. But with her, it was so much more about, you know, her her life and what she did and went to this Trump. And then in the end chapter, she's like, and I live with a woman. <laughs> we right. have a kid. Well, right. like, yeah, see, oh, I wow. didn't even, I swear, I did not know that she was gay until yesterday. And I didn't all, know until, the, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, it just was not. They didn't make a big deal about it at all. Mm -hmm. But I do really think that the social disparity between these two women and Ammonite is going to be a big part of it because, and as, as unexpectedly, yeah. it is the younger is a younger partner who is the wealthy one, and and the character that um, um, Kate Winslet plays is like near poverty. She's like dirt poor. She's like she's she's she she's self-taught paleontologist, and she's like you know, poverty stricken. And so it, it, you would not, you know, ordinarily, when you think about an older, younger relationship, the young, older woman has a certain amount of yeah, sure. uh, power. And, but it's not going to be like that. In this, in this but yeah, movie. you're right. I mean, the, the, the time when you just couldn't even be addressed or talked about, you know, that mm -hmm. is, that is conflict, you know, that is yeah. a thing to, to have in a movie where, you know, how did people live? How did they accept themselves? How did they, you know, how do they express themselves? How do they just be in love, you know? Right, and that was what was really special and, and involving about um, the director's previous movie from 2017, too, In God's Own Country. That also took place in, it was also a period piece in a, in a, uh, before the, anything like this was even, you know, said out loud, spoken aloud. I'm a little worried about this movie in terms of the kind of strident sort of demands people have been putting on actors lately, where it's like you have to be trans woman to play a trans woman. And, you know, I wonder if mm. that's going to extend to this where they're like, why are the straight people playing? I know that they need stars, you know, they're not going to mm -hmm. not pick stars. Right. But is that going right. to be a problem for the movie? I wonder. It may get around it a little bit because apparently obvious, I think it's, I don't know for sure, but it seems obvious that the director and writer is gay or he wouldn't be making two movies in a row about the same kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so he, if he's the writer, director, creator, and he's the one who chose his stars, then it's hard to question his decision since he's the. Right. Gay. But I do feel that topic bubbling up right now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It'll be because, um, there will you wonder why you didn't get a actual lesbian to play the role. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems silly to even have to say that because why would you have to have? But 
it's just not a, a thing where actors, you know, even though we're a really open society now and a lot of people are coming out, it's still a really hard thing to be an out gay actor and expect, especially women, and expect to get a diverse mm -hmm. amount of roles where, right. you know, you can play, like, they, they don't necessarily want to, be, to only play gay characters for their entire careers, right? So, right. Um, yeah. Like I was watching Contact with Jodie Foster and obviously she's gay, but she's playing, you know, love interest of Matthew McConaughey. And I was thinking back then if she had come out, they would never have given her that part. You know, she just wouldn't have gotten it. It would have gone to, you know, a non-gay actress. So it's a matter of work, you know, and, and, uh, and also with movies, they need stars to raise money. And so, you know, if you have Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan on board, you can raise a lot of money. So, yeah. you know, it's not a, it, it's just, it makes it a little bit harder if you have to be kind of Puritan, puritanical about that kind of thing, you know, where who can play what part, you know? So it's not for me to say, and please don't write me hate mail. <laughs> it's not really what I want in my life. Thank you. So far, so far, that I don't really have my finger too too uh, hard on the pulse of, of gay Twitter, or gay film Twitter, but I do get the feeling that everyone is so excited about this that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of questions being raised about that yet. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how some movies get a pass, like Little Women totally got a pass for being about all white women. Right. And like, uh -huh. no, it's a, you know. Sometimes you just, they, especially gay Twitter, has their favorite actresses. They're such a, you know, such like... Uh, such an actress-centric group of circle of, of film lovers that they are so they'll they'll they they allow they give lenience to uh, depending on the actresses that are involved. So I'm trying to say right if they like the actresses or if they yeah. love Greta yeah. Gerwig, who's like yeah. an icon in gay culture. Yeah, um, it's like okay, maybe we would rather have a gay actress, but okay, it's Kate Winslet. So it's Kate Winslet, so we're happy yeah. that, that she's in yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, it's a, I think, I think you're right. Like, I think this is one that will definitely get a pass. It's weird how some people don't and some people do Yeah. get a pass, you know? Like, I'll never understand why everybody hates Ellen so much. Like, she just gets dragged so hard by online communities. They all, you know, just constantly after her for everything. Another good thing about Ammonite is that it's A24 and they really know what they're doing lately with the Oscar and the Oscar yeah. campaigns. They know how to handle their films for the Oscars. Right, right. So, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting actress year if it turns out that way. One of the problems that they're all going to have is that they can't host screenings. And that's mm -hmm. really how you build buzz is you do mm -hmm. that. And, and nobody's going to be able to do that this year. So I imagine that the bigger star you are, of course, if it's Jennifer Hudson doing Aretha Franklin, like everybody's going to put that at the top of their pile to watch. There's no yeah. way they're going to have to be forced into watching that because they're going to want to see her sing and they're going to want to hear those songs. So. Who's the actress in West Side Story? Who and she's she's not white, and so Rachel Ziegler. Oh yeah, Rachel Ziegler, yeah, Ziegler, Ziegler, something. And she um, was a YouTube star, right? That's how he found her. Oh, okay. Hmm. I think so. Uh, yeah. Or a reality show or something. Um, yeah. He heard her singing and, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, that, I don't think, I don't think, I think it's such a competitive year. She's not going to have a chance to break in. There's so many mm. powerhouse, powerhouses ahead of her. Right. Um, uh -huh. I mean, unless people really, really, really like the movie and then maybe... But all these other movies are going to have to bomb for that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so what is, is Amanda Seyfried going lead for Mank? Is she a lead? Um, no. Of, we, of what we know in the film, is she a lead? She'll be supporting. Yeah. Okay. She's definitely supporting. Um, it's not a big enough, uh, from reading the script, it's not, I don't think it's a big enough part to be a lead. It's basically okay. one male performance as the lead and then a couple of supporting performances uh, i wonder um I'm, I'm well never mind what <laughs> never mind. no i was just gonna i'm, I'm just i'm just wondering um I, we've seen several different actors um uh, portray washington wells and i was just wondering how good uh, is i have read the screenplay and so i don't know how big of a how big of a role the uh, the role is for wells in this movie He's really good in the part. It's a tiny yeah. part. It's not very big. He, I mean, he might get nominated. I don't know, but, um, but it's a, it's a, not a very big part. But he's great, of course. Yeah. 
He's great. I'm wondering, um, this is going to be something that will be very popular, I think, on film Twitter because they all love her. Um, Jessica Chastain playing uh, Tammy Faye Baker. Right, right. In the eyes of Tammy Faye, yeah. Speaking yeah. Of and Gabe. that's Searchlight, so they know what they're right. doing. Right, so. there you go. Right, right. And what's Stillwater? It says Abigail Breslin in Stillwater. What's that movie again? Um, if it's not... A movie about the band and almost famous. Then I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> I am a golden god. No, I think it's about. Uh, I think it's the Tom McCarthy movie, right? Didn't he it do is. that? Yeah. yeah. It's got Matt Damon, Abigail Breslin. A father works to exonerate his estranged daughter of a murder she never committed. Matt Damon. <laughs> I think Abigail. <laughs> I think Abigail Breslin will be good, and yeah, I'm, that's. I'm sure Jessica Chastain is gonna be great in that. Oh, yeah. she's going to be fantastic. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, she will be great. But for some reason, just people find her very off-putting. <laughs> you mean just as a person or as an actress? Or... I, 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 just, she, didn't, she never gets the kind of recognition that I think she deserves. Like, and it's funny to say because she is so popular, but you know, in terms of awards attention, I mean, she's only gotten one nomination. I would have nominated her at least three times. Um, okay, so yeah, I, 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 you took me back when you said that because I I had not heard that before, but just by the evidence, it's got to be kind of true because she's been in a lot of really good prominent right. movies with great roles, and she's always been passed over. So what is it? I mean, in awards oh. bodies, I'm not talking about yeah. people in general. People in general right, love okay. her. I mean, they fawn okay, over yeah. everything. I mean, I just watched uh -huh. a video today that she made of making tequila and getting really drunk, and it was hypnotic to watch it for two mm. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what you do in the quarantine world. <laughs> oh, I know. I saw that you tweeted that out. I think I retweeted your tweet about that. That was excellent. I also I retweeted yeah. a video about um, three cats. Two of them were in love and another one was pissed. Oh, oh. I know. I, I, I think that I have seen that before and have retweeted a couple of times. That's been around for a long time, but I love it so much. It is so excellent, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a little movie in, in 15 seconds. Also, um, Andrew Garfield is playing Jim Baker. Oh, wow. Hmm, that's unexpected. I can't see that, but I guess hmm. it, yeah. I don't know. I just had to say that. Okay. <laughs> I just find that very surprising. That's a really yeah, weird choice. Seem, I, can't, I can't really visualize that. God, Vincent D'Onofrio is playing Jerry Falwell. This may be my favorite movie ever. Wait, so who's who's directing it? Uh, let me get Michael Showalter. Uh, oh, so they're gonna make it's gonna be. Oh no, he did Wet Hot American Summer, so never mind. It's oh, gonna so be it's just gonna be like Vice. It's be, yeah, it's gonna be a comedy. Yeah, it's gonna be oh, like Vice. Okay. But it's you know you, you, what's interesting is that you know um, the uh, the Golden Globes are still gonna happen, so we've still got ten different parts. Because so that's kind of a fun thing to do. So like Golden Globes, yeah. we have a musical category for women. So we're gonna have Jennifer Hudson in that. It's going to separate and Great then we're going to have the billy holiday actress then we'll have jessica chastain eyes of tammy faye since it's a comedy um, rachel ziggler they'll get they'll and they'll rachel ziggler right so so that fills up really fast that gives them a mm -hmm. good publicity boost right there god what if i could just see them like on zoom Mm -hmm. <laughs> could happen. Yeah, Each nominee happen. all dressed up on Zoom and they announce them. <laughs> God, if they're gonna, I wonder if they'll make the press wear tuxedos to cover it on Zoom. <laughs> Actually, instead of trying to make everybody dress up, everybody should be shirtless. <laughs> that would be better. That would be more fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're not into that. You don't want to. You don't want to do that that way. But, I will not be shirtless on Zoom, okay. I will tell you. <laughs> okay. Oh, you but know like, what? We, we mentioned Hillbilly Elegy, but we didn't, just didn't talk about it anymore. But Amy Adams and Glenn Close, you know, we can't forget them. Right. Meryl Streep and The Prom, because they are going to finish that. Oh, that my God. Rhymer. That's a musical. Yeah, it's a musical. They just, they just, uh, they're going to go back and, and shoot the last couple of scenes. So that'll come out this year. And um, French Exit is apparently a comedy. So Michelle Pfeiffer would oh, be dear. in contention there, too. Oh, okay. what a dime. <laughs> right. I wonder what that is. It's Sounds like a sexual thing. No, it's, it's a, it's, she's like penniless and she goes to France to live with her son or something like that. I just was tripping out about that Zoom. I'm surprised if I had the energy to do it, I would do like a funny video of like 
and have like jazz and a bunch of people get on it and we pretend to act out how the Golden Globes would go on the set. <laughs> it's such a nice I'm I mean, not even joking what, it could totally happen oh I know it oh. really could and you know that because I used to do the five squares and then the, but they would rely on the editor and the director of the show to cut away from the losers but you can't do that on zoom unless you just <laughs> hang up on them and that's rude and then imagine way, the more... poor winner the poor winner has to just accept their prize uh -huh. solo right. with no crowd clapping for them <laughs> You don't. I mean, they have to. They have to stand up and back away from the camera so you can see the gown, <laughs> so they can twirl for us, so we can see what they're wearing. <laughs> and there's no award to be handed. They're uh, just like empty-handed. Oh my God! I just. This is really, really bad. Really bad. <laughs> or the pres the presenters get a text that says who the winner is. <laughs> the presenters. The presenters. I mean, I was watching some zoom recently oh it was it was uh james carville was on with i can't remember who it was but james carville's oh it was bill maher it was on a bill maher show like that's how big of a deal it was and, and james carville's thing froze and oh, they, wow. <laughs> they had to have like that awkward moment of like his frozen face and be like oh well we lost him so and he's not coming back <laughs> so well. that could like totally happen but it is worse when it's when you freeze and it because it's always like it, it looks like you're having a spasm of some type and it just you know the freeze frame is so strange looking. And what if the person frozen is the winner and you're just like sitting there watching and they're like, "Can we get them back? Can we get them back?" Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think we're going to find out what that'll look like pretty quickly because the Emmys are the 20th of September. And there's no way they're having an in-person Emmy ceremony. There's no mm -hmm. way. Well, you know what they, what they could do if they did want to have it in person? They just they would do like what the, the baseball players are doing. They would just have an empty audience and they would social distance and they would go on stage in masks. Or they put those cardboard cutouts of people. <laughs> <laughs> so the winner of <laughs> well, that's what they are. They going to go up there and wear their masks? Do you want to touch on some of the questions that people ask? Oh me? yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I should. didn't know anybody did ask. Yeah, I think there's like four or five questions. Okay. Um, one of them is from a longtime listener. That sounds like a radio <laughs> DJ. Sorry, <laughs> Rick Friel, uh, saying, "How do you stay optimistic as a film TV critic in the age of uncertainty for cinema?" I mean, I'm not sure that I, I mean, number one, I'm not a film, a TV or film critic. Um, number two, I don't think I do necessarily stay optimistic, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 sometimes I just, I personally wallow in, in self-pity and depression. And sometimes I, uh, I get outside and, and enjoy other things other than film and television, like getting outside. That, that's been a big thing for me in the pandemic is really just, um, reconnecting, and this sounds super cheesy, and you may want to cut this out, but like reconnecting with nature. <laughs> like, well, that's get, great. That's really getting good. Outside I, mean, and going, I mean, I've lost seven pounds since wow. the uh, since the coronavirus too. started. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> I, but I that's a, that's that's good. That's a good answer. I got the 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 mean the infer the inference I got from Rick's question is because he mentions that we are film writers and how do it's an age of uncertainty for cinema. I, I thought he meant, how do we stay optimistic about the future of cinema itself? Yeah. And so that's, that's how I took it. That's your answer is good. I mean, that may be, that's, it's valuable. The only way I, the only way I can stay optimistic is I look back through film history and I see that American, that Hollywood and American cinema has made it through rougher times than this. We made it through world war two. We made it through, all kinds of, uh, mm. and we the depression was one of the darkest times in American history, and it's one of the best times for American movies. So I just think I think that in spite of the fact that we're not able to see movies right now in theaters the way that we want to, I'm still able to see lots of movies because I have, I like I'm I watch the Criterion Channel. I watch a lot of old movies that I am catching up to that I always wanted to see. I'm watching a lot of movies that I loved when I was a kid that I haven't seen for years and decades. And so I'm watching those over again. So that's how I stay optimistic about movies is by reminding myself that cinema keeps going and keeps changing and keeps evolving no matter what happens to in the rest of the world. 
exactly. People are always going to have great stories to tell. The yeah. m- mechanism that those stories are shared will have to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been happening before, uh, you know, Sasha's talked about this for a long time. It's happened before the coronavirus hit. I mean, the big movies that people go to the theaters to see are temples. They are Marvel movies. Yeah. They are Disney movies. They are Star Wars movies. They They aren't the things that nourish us, I think, mm-hmm. mostly. I mean, I, I love to see, I mean, my soul was nourished 50 times over by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and watching that on an iPad is not the same experience as it is watching that in a theater. I mean, it is far oh. better in a theater, mm-hmm. but it's still there for me to see. Right, and you know, people say that you can't watch a movie like that on your phone or on your iPad, but we, but no, but we don't have to. We have, we have our 50 and 60 and 70 inch televisions, and that's not bad, you know. That's not. That's pretty good if you sit close enough. You can sort of replicate this <laughs> sensation, and and I do. I mean, I'm like two feet away from my screen, and so I'm I'm okay with. Um, I I I feel really. I don't. Summer movies. I never really look forward too much to very many summer movies anyway. So I'm not feeling the loss yet, but I will feel it. I'm sure in in fall in November December, when all of the, when ordinarily all of the really high quality, you know movies to grown-ups are released and they're not going to be this year so sasha you didn't say yeah um i don't actually feel optimistic at all in any way um i I wish i did but i don't i don't feel optimistic about the future of film i don't feel optimistic about the future of film criticism because i feel like it's changed a lot i you know um there's too many film critics and too much of a hive mind and it's too clickish and film Twitter is toxic place for the most part. So, you know, you are left with fans and then the movie fans will, won't let you down. Like they still will show up at movies, but remember, like we're still going through a time where a a whole generation has been raised on brands. And so they're still conditioned to respond to branded films. And so we're still going to see a lot of that. Um, and so if you love that, great. But I, I worry about the generation my daughter is in where she's not interested in movies at all, right? They're interested in, you know, every so often they'll go see something. And some of them are like, want to see Jojo Rabbit or something like that. But for the most part, they're turned on by video games, you know. And, and uh, I happen to see this weird thing by Elon Musk, this future prediction video, because I was looking at some gen z future predictions of how that generation um is going to change things in terms of movies like they don't particularly care about movie theaters they'll watch movies anywhere on their phones on their computers streaming it doesn't they don't have the same affinity for theaters that that our generations do they don't have like the popcorn and the you know sitting down and and all that is is really kind of not part of their consciousness since they're internet natives and they're raised with technology and they're TikToking and they're YouTubing and most of them say they'd rather watch YouTube than watch movies. They don't watch the news. They don't read the news, right? An audience will always know, right? You put an audience there in a theater and, and they'll know whether what they watched was good or not, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got to just hope that there are enough artists who have enough confidence to continue to, you know, break through and, and, and turn them on with great movies, you know, and tell great stories. There are stories to be told always. Human beings, we come to storytelling as a way to, you know, to make sense of our world, and we always have. So storytelling's never going away. It's just a matter of what forms those stories are going to take, and, and a lot of the stories now are going to have to be about virtual online world, because that's what we're all living through right now. So... But I think social media is doing, you know, harm to young minds and it's doing harm to all of us and the way that we relate to each other. But uh, at the same time, this is a really creative, innovative generation. And I think that a lot of the stuff that they're going to come up with is going to be really fun to see, whatever it is. It's maybe just not going to be what it used to be. As far as the future of film goes and my job, I feel like it's definitely coming to the end pretty close to I don't feel myself as optimistic I feel like it's time for me to move aside and let the younger generations figure out what they want to do um in terms of that I don't even know what we're going to do with the Oscars honestly but um but I don't know I mean I just feel like we're we are living through a time of uncertainty and and it would be really hard to be optimistic right now about anything you know 
So another question um, that came out was, um, what's one of your what's one of your favorite movies of this year that you've seen so far that's been released? Um, I liked Invisible Man. I thought that was pretty good. With um, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yep. Yeah, that's the only thing that I've seen. I mean, has anything even been released this year? Yeah, it's 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 a tough question. I mean, I I don't think I've seen. I mean, I I. I really liked um, *The Five Bloods*, um, for sure. Um, I loved the the first half of *Was of uh, Invisible Man*. Um, I thought, like, once you kind of figured out what was going on, I thought it kind of turned into a little bit of a sort of a sci-fi mess. But um, the first half, I thought, was really taut. Um, but there's been nothing that's touched me quite as much as some things I've seen on television. Yeah, you watch a lot more TV than I do. You know. Well, plot versus the the plot against America is one of the best things I've seen in film or television in a very long time. Like I, I loved that limited series on HBO. Yeah, that was really, really, really good. Actually, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a really good one. I know Paul Schrader was asking for TV recommendations on Facebook a while back, and I couldn't think of anything beyond Succession that I thought was good. You know, but that's mm -hmm. one that that you're right that that's a really good one. Ryan, what about you? What have you seen this year that you have been um, that would uh, stand the test of time for you? Well, it's pretty easy to narrow it down because there haven't been that many movies that any of us have been able to see. But uh, I, Invisible Man was fantastic. I liked The Vast of Night on uh, Amazon, uh, even though it's probably not going to be eligible for Oscars. I think I thought it was a, a, a really. That was a good one. Did you I enjoyed watch it. Shirley? Yeah, I, Shirley, I liked. Yeah. Um, All right, you guys. Sleep well, okay? And thanks for talking. I'm sure things are going to get better tomorrow, I promise. Okay, yeah. they got to be, right? <laughs> they got to be. There's nowhere to go but up at this point. <laughs> okay, good night, everybody. Night. Night.